Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the BM Cast. Not a podcast that calls for bands within a week of the new set's release, but a show about playing magic together on a budget. I'm Scott and I'm joined by the Toolcraft exemplar herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? I'm doing very well. Um, mm. I've had a very busy week with doing quote-unquote things. I can't really say what those things are at the moment. Um, but it's very, very exciting. It's a huge change in like my career and in my personal life. Um, um, so a lot of my week has just been sorting that out and wish I could say more, but hopefully in like next episode or even the episode after that, I can actually talk about it. So it's it's exciting, but I can't say anything and it's really annoying because you just want to broadcast mm, it. Keep um, us on beta breath. All right. I yeah. get it. I see how it is. I don't want to tempt fate. <laughs> With that, I haven't had the chance to play any magic just because of quote unquote things. Mm. But in terms of content, I've done the second part of my budget Caldheim pickups, which is now live on TCG Player. Um, With that, I do revise a couple of old decks as well. So uh, I look at Soul Sisters and I look at Azorius Spirits because I think there are some new cards from Caldheim that fit in those strategies quite well. Mm. Otherwise, I've been playing Slay the Spire because it's now an Android and it's just been eating up all the lunch breaks that I have at work and it's just great isn't it wait it's it's on Android now how did I not hear yeah. about this yeah I put it on Twitter like a week ago it was like mid last week Emma I don't pay attention to what you put on Twitter no that's not true that's, oh, that's not true. rude <laughs> that's, that's just rude um, yeah it's on it's on Android it came out on Wednesday I believe ah okay. so I was like okay I need to buy this and just lose whatever time or little time I have left and it's great because yeah. I love yeah. status water how about you how are you doing <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I got an awful lot of magic in this week. I'm kind of the opposite to yourself. Got a lot of magic in this week, particularly over on the Irish Magic Discord. I played Pauper on Tuesday night. I played Modern on Wednesday. And then I played Commander all day Saturday. So it was it was pretty good. Definitely needed a lot of, lot of good social interaction, which I desperately, desperately need high mm. amounts of in order to just function properly as a person. So yeah, it was good. I've also just finished my Glacian and Togo Rocks Rock deck, which is just all about making rocks and then tapping them to find more rocks. And it's really dumb and I love it. I've actually nicknamed it the Bray deck because Bray is the name of the town that I grew up in, in Ireland here. And when I was growing up, it wasn't exactly the nicest place in the world. Mm. And it has a bit of a name for itself for uh, some unsavory people living there that have a tendency to do things like throw stones at people. So, yeah, it's <laughs> it kind of lines up, right? So, yeah. yeah, apart from that, I have now traded my way into an M25 Chalice, which Ooh. is probably the most expensive card that I actually own at the moment. Because I did a huge downgrade on my collection. I was like, I don't know why I'm playing with, you know, 50 and 60 euro cards over webcam. What's the mm. point? So... Yeah, so it is probably one of the most expensive cards I have right now. I traded a pile of Izzet cards to a good friend of mine, Tom, if you're listening, Tom. How's it going? How are you doing? And yeah, he was basically he was built, looking to build a Kark and Sakshima deck, and I just had to make it happen. Like, I had an idea that I might do it, maybe, but then he just came along with like a huge list and was like, look, I'm looking for all this stuff, and I was like, I basically have your whole deck here, so <laughs> swap? Cool. So the chalice now lives in my Bluetron sideboard, so I can tutor for it with Karen the Great Creator, because absolutely no way am I buying another three. There's no way. No. <laughs> to be fair, you don't need, like, four in mono Bluetron anyway, yeah. because you have Khan. Like, yeah. it's not essential by any yeah. means. Some run it as a one-of in the main deck, and then get it with a Trinket Mage as well, but I'm not a big fan of cool. that, because, you know, Ashiok or Leon and Arbiter can sort of turn that off, so I'm not a big fan of it. Mm. 
But yeah, uh, in terms of this week's article, it is oh, it's a big one. So it's about budget commander mana bases and kind of constructing mana bases in general in commander. I go into the sort of general theory of mana base construction, the different aspects and the sections that make it up, and then also some good examples of lesser known budget options for each different one, you know, so like fixing or ramp or mana rocks and like they're all separated and different things. So if you like commander or you're new to building decks or you're new to the format or anything at all, you can definitely get something out of it. So take a read of it there over on Card Kingdom. It's out now. And then finally, I'm talking about a lot this week. Finally, <laughs> outside of Magic, uh, I've been doing very little. Actually, very, very little. Because <laughs> most of my weeks are either all Magic or all everything else. And this week was incredibly Magic heavy. So I've had a couple of hours to play Genshin Impact and continue my Dark Souls 2 playthrough. Apart from that, uh, sleeping. Um, great. Having the usual mental breakdowns that I do on the week-to-week basis. Like, yeah, it's, it's about normal. Quite the pile of laundry that's just always there. I get you. Yeah, yeah. So, with all that said, and all of our intros and pleasantries out of the way, Emma, have we got any important housekeeping this week? We do. We have a couple of new patrons this week. Oh. Uh, so we would like to give a huge thank you to both Nicholas Martin and Tyler for being the latest patrons to our cheering fanatic tier. Thanks again, and enjoy the stocks. Deeply appreciated. Absolutely. If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show. And their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. All right, so... Before we jump into the main topic of the day, I have got another card of the week. And my card this week is one from Kaldheim. And it's one that I think we should probably pick up a number of copies of now. Because it feels like this sets Damping Sphere. And that is yeah. Weathered Runestone. Weathered Runestone is two generic mana for an artifact. Non-land permanent cards in graveyards and libraries can't enter the battlefield. And players can't cast spells from graveyards or libraries. So your panglacial worms are turned off. You can't. Oh, no. <laughs> you can't. Uh, you can't reanimate enchantments anymore. It's it's basically kind of like Grafdigger's Cage, only a little more strict. Uh, like it covers a little bit more, and it costs two mana. This is particularly good for decks that run, say, Chalice of the Void, and put it on one, and then you know end up getting a car and tutoring for a Grafdigger's Cage, and then realizing their mistake. You know. Yeah. I quite like it in like Standard and Pioneer as well, because it really mm. uh, hampers uh, Elspeth's Conquer's Death, which is a pretty big card in those formats, because yeah. it stops the last chapter of the saga. It's just a really good option to have, and you can get it from a calm wishboard. So yeah. I- I'd recommend just running it alongside Grafdigger's Cage. In the mm. same vein, like Piffing Needle and Source of Spyglass, so they're run alongside together. Yeah. So. It's definitely one of those cards to keep an eye out for if you're cracking a few packs that you've maybe purchased from mm. your local game store to support them during this difficult time. It's a good thing to do, yeah. Okay, but on to the meat and bones of the episode. We are talking this week about how we brew on a budget. Now, there's a lot here. There's an awful, awful lot that we can cover here. And rather than myself going, oh, well, I do this and I do that and I do the other. And then Emma saying, well, I also do this, but I do this differently and that. And uh, look, you just hear us waffle for (laughs) like 40 minutes and then no one wants that. So... 
instead, we're taking a slightly different tack with this and we're going to kind of use an example to sort of explain the process that we had both done for this. So we took a card from Caldheim that we both saw and we're like, this is dumb. I'm sure we can do something dumb with it, right? And what we did was before the episode, we actually sat down and did a very quick, it was only about 15, 20 minutes, sort of build around where we built a deck around said card. And that card is Giant Ox. In case you can't remember it, Giant Ox is one and white for a 0-6 Ox at common that says Giant Ox crews vehicles using its toughness rather than its power. And the interaction that I saw was Consulate Dreadnought from Ether Revolt, I want to say it was. It's one generic mana for a 7-11 vehicle with crew six. So turn one, you can play a Consulate Dreadnought. Turn two, you can play a Giant Ox and crew it and then attack for seven. That seems pretty decent. So we thought we'd build around that. So what we did was we started to build a deck and then realized that the best fit for it was in Pioneer. And we kind of just went from there. So we're going to sort of go through the different steps that we took and the different options that we had available and sort of the process behind it to sort of give you an insight as to how we actually put the whole thing together. Okay, so Emma, do you want to take us into how we started into the build around? So we took Giant Ox and where did we go from that card? So we talked about Constant Dreadnought because that is clearly a really good pairing with Giant Ox. And because we're both fans of the card and you want to build around it, you Mm -hmm. want to find other effects that help with the Ox. So one that Scott picked out is called Armed and Armored, um, which is a... It's like a Kaldheim theme booster single. It's not in Kaldheim set, yeah. but it's like a supplemental card. And Arm and Armored reads as. So it's a two mana instant, one generic and a white, and it reads. Vehicles you control become artifact creatures until end of turn. Choose a dwarf you control, attach any number of equipment you control to it. So already like the first ability is quite good because you can just mm. run a load of vehicles, including that constant dreadnought, and they can turn sideways without having to be crewed. It's just a nice alternative if you don't have any creatures on the field. Yeah. So at the moment, our build around is the ox, the dreadnought, and arm and armoured. Then we went a little bit further. So you want a way to find these cards, especially the constant dreadnought. So we found that board the Weatherlights a really good one in this case because it finds historic cards, which are also artifacts. Mm-hmm. Going further than that, we wanted ways to put more artifacts into the deck to make the value of Board the Weatherlight even better. We put stuff in like Aethersphere Harvester, which is a great vehicle. Heart of Kieran is also a great mm-hmm. vehicle. The Ox can also crew. With that, we went a little bit further. It was like, there's a load of artifacts here and a lot of equipment we can run here. How about running SRAM, Senior Edificer, which is a two-mana dwarf which mm-hmm. ties back into the Arm and Armoured. And any time you cast an aura, equipment, or a vehicle spell, you draw a card. This is just a great way to keep the action flowing and we don't become hellbent and there's always something to do. Yeah, what was nice about SRAM as well is that not only did it draw cards whenever you play a vehicle, but it also had that little bit of extra text, like you said, from Arm and Armoured, if we happen to have any equipment. And yeah. the first piece of equipment that I saw to add to this was a Maul of the Skyclaves, just as a one-off. Yeah. Because you don't want too many equipments because it's not a very creature-heavy deck. Like, there's 16 creatures, quote-unquote, not including vehicles. Mm-hmm. And Maul of the Skyclaves is just decent. On top of that, we kind of figured that we needed maybe a couple of extra equipment to make it kind of worth actually including in the first place. So we threw in one Shadow Spear as well. It's actually the most expensive card in the deck. It's $8. What? When did that get yeah. that expensive? But we went with that because it's cheap. 
it does show up. That's why the price is the way it is. And then I got thinking, I was like, does the equipment necessarily have to be even particularly good by itself in order for it to be a value in this deck? I settled on no being the answer for that because we added four bone saw. So bone saw is just a zero mana equipment that has equip one and gives plus one plus oh. But with SRAM, it's zero mana draw a card. It's a zero mana cantrip. And bearing in mind, you can find both of them off of board the weatherlight as well. So if you really want to, you can dig very, very far into your deck yeah. if the draws line up right, which is basically exactly what white relies on entirely these days. But mm-hmm. hopefully that'll change soon. Yeah. Also, there's a good thing to mention here. Yes, we looked at Bonesaw and Shroud. We did consider very briefly as like, at what point does this become a Cheerios deck instead? And we're just running like a SRAM Auras artifact aggro mm-hmm. deck. And honestly, it was tempting because obviously that's like the better version of the deck. But that doesn't necessarily mean you should build it just because it's better. You should do the thing you want to do. So that's it. we really like the Ox. So we wanted to build around it and have a bit of fun with yeah. it. In a normal environment, you could take this and it'll get your heads turning because you're doming people with an ox and a consulate dreadnought. That's it. Absolutely. So, just on the little bit on Armed and Armour there about attaching equipment to a dwarf you control, we figured that it was probably a good idea to have more than just SRAM there. So, Emma suggested Toolcraft Exemplar, which was back from Mardu Vehicles era. One white mana for a 1-1 dwarf artificer, and at the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control an artifact, it gets plus 2, plus 1 until end of turn. And if you control three or more artifacts, it also gets first strike. So this can easily crew like a Heart of Karen or something on the turn it comes down. And that's fantastic. But on top of that, it's also a dwarf. So any of the stuff that's lying around, say like you have a Bone Slaw or a Maul lying around, it's now two mana instant speed to equip as well as all your vehicles becoming creatures. Like, being real, like, this is a, more of a fun deck than a competitive deck. And there's going to be some busted turns, but it is going to be a little bit inconsistent. But there's just so many, like, little synergies like that in the deck. You know, like, we threw in Stone Coil Serpent as well as another creature because you can hit it off of board the Weatherlight and it can also scale into the game. You could do it on turn one, you mm. can do it on turn ten. It doesn't matter. It's still good. So that's basically the whole deck. Yeah, it just does one thing really well. And yeah. you've got ways to find stuff. You've got threats. And eventually you can do a big alpha attack with Arm and Armoured and just mm-hmm. dome people for stupid amounts of damage. And you've got Shadow Spear to make sure the trample damage goes through as well. Yeah. And one thing to note as well is that this is a very quick build. Like I said, this only took us like 15 minutes or so. If we were at it for a little bit longer, uh, we would have been able to sort of massage the numbers a little bit and, and work it into a much more viable sort of shell in general but it's it's a good example of sort of the lines and the the thought processes that we went through in order to get here like for example there's no removal there's no removal at all and i spent 30 seconds looking at this while you were talking there emma and i was like huh glass casket would be real good in here because you can get it off Mm. the weather light and that's removal and that kind of see like so these things can evolve as it goes on it's important to not just get stuck on one idea and go, oh, I'll go with this and then maybe miss something as glaringly obvious as removal, you know? So it's good to take these ideas and do similar to what we did, which was do a very quick draft, throw these different ideas together. You know, Scryfall is your best friend when it comes to this. Throw some different ideas or maybe search for, like we literally went with the vehicles. We started like, okay, search Scryfall for vehicles. Okay, then search for maybe dwarves. Is there good dwarves? Because they tend to do stuff with vehicles. Oh, it turns out stuff with equipment maybe. And like, we just went from there and snowballed. And 
once you do these kind of quick build arounds and brews and stuff, leave it for a while. Come back in like 20 minutes time and like look at the deck again and go, what am I missing? What's fundamentally wrong with this deck? Or maybe there's no fundamental problems with the deck and it's great. Like that can happen too. It's just being sure that you're not sort of clued into the one mindset and perspective and you, your judgment gets clouded by that and stuff as well. So Yeah, tunnel vision's a real pain at times. Mm. It's it's good to be that way. Um and yeah, rounding out the, the deck list that we brewed in about fifteen minutes, like yeah. the land base is super cheap because it's just pretty much planes because you're mono white. Mm. And then we also ran some Dark Seal Citadels in there because they can be found off board the Weatherlight because it's an artifact. Board the Weatherlight in this is basically just ancient stirrings, like let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? It's like white ancient stirrings. Yeah. Threw some Radiant Fountains of Field of Runes in there as well, because the mm. white requirements in this deck are actually quite low. So mm. we've 10 planes and then 10 non-white lands. They just tap for colourless, but they just do different things. Like we have a Bonders Enclave in there so that, you know, you can crew a Heart of Kieran and then draw a card off of it. That's mm. fantastic, you know. But it is important to make sure that you don't get too stuck on one sort of idea because we abandoned loads of different options and loads of different lines that we could have taken with it like you said earlier like we could have started leaning into auras and stuff and then suddenly we'd be making black white auras which is already a deck and pioneer not necessarily a bad thing to do that but it's not the direction we wanted to take with it we wanted to build yeah. around the ox you know so it's also a good point just because if you look at deck lists a lot like we do when it just mm. comes to looking at meta games and by lists and stuff you can get influenced by these decks without really realizing it and then you start to build it in a particular way and you're like oh actually i'm just building a deck that's already existed because you've seen it before without mm -hmm. like fully acknowledging it it can influence you so it's it's difficult but try and keep an open mind about it and mm -hmm. we could have done it with this where it's just like oh we could just build like mono white auras which is a super budget pioneer deck and then you could go into white black yeah. and then you're just you're not really learning anything you're just doing the same thing as someone else has done so yeah and the, the thing is as well if you end up like making some other deck that already exists that does not make you a bad brewer at all it just means that you're thinking in the same kind of way that other brewers are thinking and that means that you're you know you're thinking critically you're processing the application of all of these different cards in their different circumstances and all of this stuff you're doing things right as far as i'm concerned like if you accidentally make another deck that already exists and is a known quantity in a format without realizing it to me that you're doing it right mm. you're finding the right things you're finding the things that are good you're not failing because you've accidentally made something that already exists you know that's that's not how it works as annoying as it can be at the time when you realize that one of your ideas is actually just not as good as another idea that exists that is in a similar vein it's actually a sign that you're you're thinking on the right kind of laterals for deck building in general but yeah, this was a bit of a weird and silly uh, kind of build around, mm -hmm. to be honest. Like we could have taken something like a planeswalker or something that would have been more impactful or could have led to a more like quote unquote real deck or something. But like, where's the fun in that? You know, I want to do dumb stuff. The best tier in magic is the fun tier. Yeah. Tier fun is always better than tier one, in my opinion. Agreed. Sometimes tier one and tier fun are the same to some people. And you know what? If that's your kink, that's fine. We don't, <laughs> we don't shame around here. But we do have an awful lot of general tips when it comes to brewing, generally. I know, I'm saying general too much here. But before we jump into sort of our general tips for brewing, it is important to note that every single format is different. 
you know, a lot of these will apply to multiple formats and just are good heuristics in general. But the ones that we're talking about here are a little bit more focused towards constructed formats like, say, Standard, Pioneer, Modern, that kind of thing, rather than Commander. But, you know, you can still gain from these different things. Like, it, it might help you look at building a Commander deck in a different way or something. But we will go into Commander in another episode, but we're just going to take it a step at a time. The important thing, I think, before brewing anything is just figuring out what you like to play and this can be figuring out what formats you like figuring out what kind of archetypes you like playing like style of decks and that process of elimination is so helpful because it will just help you understand what you like and what you can focus on granted that can be quite difficult because we are in a covid environment you can't go and play paper magic you can't borrow people's decks you know in like an fnm environment However, you can do uh, Magic Online, and we're very fortunate to have suppliers such as Mana Traders and Card Hoarder, who mm. offer really low subscription tiers that ensures you can play budget versions of decks so you can get an idea of what you enjoy. We covered this in episode 21, so if you're interested in that, please listen to that episode because it just gives you all the fundamentals, and you don't have to spend a lot of money to do it. But what it will do, it will save you money in the long term because you're not buying a deck, realising it's not for you brewing or buying another deck and then realizing it's not for you so just building this profile is a good way to go about it yeah yeah ultimately it's the most important thing to decide is what you want to play what you like playing because if you're not enjoying it what's the point yeah ultimately like i know we said that we're talking about constructive formats here and not commander and that's generally the ethos of commander but to be honest it's still a game so what you like doing is all the game is about really so Mm -hmm. make it all about that But yes, another thing that I would recommend would be to identify what is irreplaceable in the kind of deck or brew that you want to make. When it comes to, say, building budget versions of decks, say you want to build a budget version of like Green Black Rock or Jund or something, like you don't need Liliana The Last Hope. It's not a critical engine piece, for argument's sake. So you can replace that with... I don't know, uh, cheaper Liliana, like the the one from, was it M21, The Waker of the Dead, the four mana one? Mm. That's a somewhat similar one. Or, you know, if you want to just draw cards, just like, you know, Read the Bones or Night's Whisper or something will also just work fine. It's important to know what is replaceable and what is not. A good example of that is, like we were talking about there recently, was like Twiddlestrom. You can't really replace Past and Flames with anything. That's a piece that's irreplaceable. But... Thoughtseize can easily be swapped out for a duress or something if you think it'll be fine, you know. So it's important to be able to make those distinctions as well. Yes, I agree. Finding that stuff out can be quite difficult because sometimes the the super important cards are irreplaceable. But in most cases, you can build like a budget version of it. It might mm-hmm. not have the same end results or it's the same consistency as the optimal version, but it, it gives you that footing. It, it allows you to play the deck in some way, which is the important part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then another important thing is making sure your deck will fit the format. What we mean by that is when building a deck, make sure there are enough pieces in the format to make it playable. So like in Pioneer, for example, you want to make sure there is enough cards within that pool that Mm -hmm. you can do the thing that you want to do. If that's not the case, you can probably transfer it into Modern. There's more cards to choose from. Maybe this is the format Mm -hmm. for this brew that I want to do. Also, make sure the idea isn't too weak for the format either. Like us with the ox Mm -hmm. we can make it work in pioneer but in modern it's probably gonna be like a real bad time yeah it's probably too slow in pioneer the carpool's condensed it's probably a bit of fun you could probably do something in standard to an extent as well if you really wanted to with the plow 
but yeah, I think you have to be realistic, I guess is the term, yeah. when it comes to stuff like this. That's it. Like, there are so many modern brews that I see that other people have released. And I'm like, they're really, really sweet, but you're going to get bulldozered in modern. And mm. you're only missing like three cards if you pour it over to Pioneer. So just try it there and see if it works in that format too. Because mm. you're lowering the power level, but maybe not necessarily lowering the number of options that you have, you know, depending on obviously the card pool and the archetype that it is. Like mm. if you were trying to build some sort of crazy storm deck, it's probably not going to fit Pioneer, but it'll probably fit Modern because, well, storm mm. cards are there. You know, you're not just reliant on, say, Aetherflux Reservoir or something. So, mm. yeah. Another good thing as well is make sure that you spend some of your resources in assigning cyborg cards and stuff as well. Like being able to identify the weak points of the deck to have the cyborg to be able to shore those up is very, very good. It's a very good skill to have because when it comes to constructive formats, most of the time you're playing more games post-board than you are pre-board. Unless you're playing best of one in arena and... If you are, then this kind of doesn't really apply. You kind of just play mono red and turn them sideways. And it's probably fine. Or Tibble's Trickery now, whichever. And yeah, so it's important to know the contents of your sideboard, why you need what you've put in there. Like, for argument's sake, let's take a bunch of my decks in Pauper. I have very little graveyard hate in there. Because I know that a lot of my decks don't care about the decks that do graveyard stuff or I'm not going to be playing against many graveyard decks in general. So I have very little graveyard hate. I might have one or two pieces in some decks that are particularly susceptible to those kind of strategies, but otherwise I, I just use them for something else, like, say, more life gain against burn or whatever it is, you know? Mm. So it is important to do that. And, yeah, just make sure that your sideboard, same with whether you're building on a budget or otherwise, make sure that your sideboard is just covering all the gaps that your deck might have. This is it, and sometimes it's always good to have cards that can tick a load of boxes as well mm. so a really good example is one we talked about recently which is Ravenform so it's really good at dealing with creatures it can also deal with artifacts so it has this double application yep. and I always find with sideboards it's good to be as broad as possible unless there is a particular meta game where this one recurring theme happens and you can fine tune that mm-hmm. but yeah having broad answers is often a safe way to do sideboarding and then you can like t- tweak it slightly depending on you know what you expect to come up yeah then it's important to consider everything before dismissing it. So you won't know every aspect, facet or play pattern of a card until you've gotten the reps in first. So mm-hmm. play testing, gold fishing, just trying this stuff out is really important. The practical part of it is, is really, really key. Eventually you'll be adept enough to estimate these things within reasonable accuracy, but it does take a lot of time. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not something you're going to have a brew and overnight it's like, yeah, this is going to break modern or it's going to break pioneer. Mm-hmm. You kind of need to iron out the creases because your first iteration is not going to be perfect but you should be willing to fine-tune it in a way that makes it work yeah absolutely this was actually a point that i put down on the list and i put this down for a specific reason well apart from the fact that it is good to know but a great example of how i didn't follow this advice recently was in zendikar i downplayed wayward guide beast because i was like oh it's just literally the worst goblin guide that's ever been printed it's terrible when it's been in burn 5-0 lists for the last like six months straight in mono red burn in modern and Mm. it's been killing it now i know that's a very specific and niche place but i basically just completely dismissed the card and now that it has actually found its home and it is good in that home specifically i now can turn around and be like well i know i was wrong 
Like, I was totally wrong about that card. And, like, not everyone gets it right either. And you'll see that in particular with, like, some of the pro players where they see cards that are a little weird or sort of off-center or something. And they're like, ah, no, it's, it's not good. It's not playable or whatever. And then, like, you know, three weeks later, people on Arena have figured it out and it's broken. And then people are calling for bans and that pro will turn around more often than not and be like, I always said that card was good. What are you talking about? You know, like, yeah, like just, just, just look <laughs> like it's fine. Like I just said it a minute ago. It's okay. It's okay. You can say that you were wrong and that it's okay to be wrong. Sometimes we're all human. It's fine. We get it. Don't be clown. There's receipts <laughs> all over Twitter. You said it. This isn't about any particular person, by the way, I've just seen it so many times and it's just repeated itself in the exact same pattern every single time. So, Would you say this is a rant? Mini rant, because I'm not going mini to. Rant. I'm not going to accelerate any further into it from this point. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. In fact, I'll, I'll I'll move on. I will say, <laughs> speaking of like when it comes to individual cards or something, don't become too attached to any one card. Okay. I get it. I've done this a lot. I've done this an awful lot where I see a card and I'm like, oh, I want to build around it, and you try and build, and then turns out the build doesn't work. Or that you don't have the right pieces for it, and then you're trying to find another format for it to fit into, and it's not working, and it's that, and you're you're at this point, you're essentially expending time and resources and your own, you know, mental health, even potentially depending on how long you're sitting working on this. So you will occasionally come across these kinds of cards. You get excited by it, and you start trying to make a deck or whatever, or maybe it fits into one that you're already working on. And a lot of the time, it's just not going to work the way that you think it will, and that's completely okay. But if it's not going to fulfill the role that you were hoping for it to fulfill, don't keep it. Like, if it's just not working or you find a better option or there's another direction that your deck can take because you looked a little further and you dug a little more, just go with it. Go with what feels right. Don't don't try to force something that doesn't work. There are some exceptions to this. Like I said, this is more for Constructed. In Commander, if you just like the card, just play the card. It doesn't matter. Like, do what you want. Do what makes you happy. But yeah, when it comes to trying to come up with like a proper constructed brew or something like that, sometimes you got to learn to let go. Yeah. I know this is starting to sound more like normal life advice, but you know, sometimes you do have to just start <laughs> learning to let go, you know? Are we saying magic brewing is a lot like everyday life? <laughs> magic brewing is like a box of chocolates. No, we're not going there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and this one, this is like a really important takeaway for me for when yeah. I brew. And this took me a long time to learn. Mm. You'll have more unsuccessful brews than you will successful ones. And you know what? That is completely fine because that is just Mm -hmm. part of the process. That is the nature of the beast. The most important thing to take away from those unsuccessful brews is you've learned something from it. You've had the experience. You can kind of go, cool, this thing didn't work. So Mm -hmm. we can try a different thing. Or you can just save it and come back to it if another card comes around that makes the strategy better. Mm-hmm. it's never a waste of time it's always an investment and it's just very important to keep that in mind yeah absolutely because it's kind of like being a content creator as well in a way because there are so mm-hmm. many like you know discarded drafts of articles that i've started or like you know brainstorm sheets with different video ideas that i have written down or like there are so many failed projects that just it's just how it is when it comes to anything that involves anything creative whatsoever it's expected or it should be expected that Mm. failure will happen more often than success. But the thing is the failures are worth the success. And as long as you're learning something from it, it is not a failure at all. It is just a different form of success. And again, this sounding like life advice. I don't know where this is coming from, but it's happening again. Are we becoming life coaches? Budget life coaches right here. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Once the pandemic is over, you can hire us. We are budget motivational speakers. Uh, Ooh, I like that. <laughs> believe in yourself to a certain extent and not for too much money. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Our commissions is like a packet of crisps and a pint. Yeah, yeah. A packet of crisps, a pint and, uh, and a seal pool. How's that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that yeah. works. I love a good seal pool. <laughs> One thing that I'm going to suggest, and it was a couple of months ago now, I heard the Arena Decklist podcast guys talking about this as well. And I'm glad that I'm not the only one that does this. And that is keep a brewer's notebook. Okay, mm. sounds a bit lame. Everybody, shut up. It's great, right? Brewer's notebook. Literally just a little notepad, right? Little notepad. I'm even going to hold mine up to, to Emma here. Uh, tiny little notepad. Like, I can n- confirm he's waving a notepad at me. Roughly the size of my palm. It's tiny. And like, there's a page with cards I like. There's a page with cards that I feel that are strong but don't have a home yet. Armed and Armoured was actually on that page. So technically I can cross that off. There are other ones like uh, like cards that are yet to have a home. For example, the Circle of Loyalty, the six mana legendary artifact from Eldraine that like pumps your team and costs less for the number of light knights you control and stuff, all sorts of stuff. That feels like it's yet to have a home and it will have a home eventually once enough cards come out for it. And then there are other ones that need just one or two pieces to become completely broken. For example, like Witch's Cottage is just Mystic Sanctuary, but for creatures. Pyre of Heroes... Hold on to your Pyre of Heroes. They're terrible now because there are no broken combos with it, but eventually enough creatures will be released that something stupid is going to work with this card. And it'll mm-hmm. probably maybe modern playable at that point. It's starting to see some play, actually. Ragdos Goblins have been running it because it's just a really good way to get kiki-jiki. That makes sense too. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, so like having this little notepad there is one of the best resources that you can actually have because... If you're brewing, you're going to be like us and you're going to see hundreds, if not thousands of cards every week. And you're going to forget all of the ones that you were excited about and the reasons why, you know. So, like, just write down the name of the the card and then under it why you're actually writing it in the first place. And that's pretty much all you need to do. But that notepad is super, super valuable. Just pick it up. Just get it. Even even if it's just like a notepad app on your phone, just some way to store all this stuff in a place. I personally like just being able to write it down. It just feels nice. Same. But, yeah. I prefer it as well because it helps the process from like mind to practice and mm. then I can forget about it. It, it. it frees up room in my brain, basically. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way I see it. Yeah, yeah. There is something about committing pen to paper. It's almost like it, yeah. it, it pushes the thoughts out of your head and through yeah. the pen and then you just don't have to worry about it. Yeah. I do get that feeling as well. You don't step to AM going, oh, what about this card? And then you, because you worry you're going to forget about it. And just write it down, makes it easier. And the last point, this is a really good one, is find a testing partner. Find someone who's like-minded and willing to play against random stuff that you are willing to build. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not meta decks, like you can play against meta decks if you want. But if you want to do like a brewing challenge, you can just play whatever and just see how it plays because the practicality of it is the important part. That's like the end result, right? So you need to see if this brew or this concept actually has some potential. That's it. Because you can sit there and goldfish by yourself, but that'll only tell you one half of the story, you know, and that is, mm. can it goldfish? Can you play with it by yourself? And for most decks, the answer is yeah. You know, like it'll it'll help iron out some things like, have I got enough lands? Am I going to hit my land drops on time? Have I got enough cantrips to make sure that I'm hitting things consistently or whatever it is? You know, am I threat heavy? Am I threat light? You'll be able to work all those things out with goldfishing, but how it actually works in conjunction with another player and when you're sitting there playing against it, like I have, I have my friend Ian, we play regularly, weekly basically on webcam. We play modern and I have built my 
modern decks based on how I've played against his because he has different variants of shadow and sometimes he has like for example he has burn and stuff in pauper and that kind of thing so I can test different things against different decks and see how they fare because you don't necessarily have to be like you said playing against meta decks it just has to be against decks that are in that format that are already known to function reasonably at least you know and that's what's important because if your deck works to a certain degree with those decks meta deck or otherwise then you know that it should be able to slot in somewhere and that's that's pretty important also you need to make sure that you have a little bit of social time as well you know Mm. that's that's important these days especially right now yeah yeah more of this life coaching stuff we're really good at life coaching we're giving great life advice we are really good maybe it's a patron too (laughs) if anybody subscribes (laughs) to our patreon at the we want you to be our life coaches tier we're gonna have to probably call some medical professionals and like yeah get get assistance because uh no we are not qualified for that at all we're qualified to take feet <laughs> photos but not life coaching that is that is unfortunately true okay so yeah that, that's basically it like i know that was kind of a bunch of different like random musings and sort of wishy-washy tips and stuff and kind of a lot of oh, it was a bit all over the place but that's kind of the nature of brewing as well you know mm. like there have been so many times where i've like started a brew i got 16 cards in and during a search i found a different card and i literally closed that mtg goldfish tab i should have left it open but you know i closed it and then i start another one where i just start building in another deck mm. and three hours later i'm like i'm four brews in and i have not succeeded once but i'm starting to get somewhere with this one now so let's see how that goes yeah. like that's just how it works maybe that's just how i work i'm sure other people are different but that's definitely what happens with me anyway but <laughs> Yeah. Alrighty. So let's jump on over to a little bit of Q&A before we round out the show. What have we got, Emma? So we have a few this week. So I'm going to start off with Evie the Mage's tweet, as they like to send in every week. Mm-hmm. They say, found out this last night while working on Eldrazi Tron. Foil double masters Tron lands are about $1 each for Tron players who want to bling out their Tron decks. Mm. It's a really good rate because before foil Tron lands were stupidly expensive. So if you want to foil out your Tron decks, which I wouldn't blame you because I'm similar, you can do so and you can do it on the cheap helping with the budget bling that we like to talk about. Mm-hmm. And they also have a question, which is probably aimed at you because you play Mono Blue Tron. We will be having a primer on that at some point soon, yes. So. They ask, how do you feel about a turns variant of Mono Blue Tron using cards like Part of the Water Veil? I like the idea. However, it kind of already is a turns deck because of the Mind Slaver lock. Yeah. That's how you win a lot of games. With more traditional Bluetron builds, like my Bluetron build, which we'll go into once we do the, the modern highlights on it, is now much more proactive in that it doesn't sit around and wait for stuff to happen. Like a place taught not to place current mm. great creator to go get sideboard stuff or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, in addition to the fact that the, the Mindslaver lock is already making a kind of a turns deck, just in an unorthodox way, but mm. even double blue is very, very awkward in Bluetron. like there are several yeah. several times where like island is technically the most important land in the entire deck like people think it's the yeah. tron lands it's actually island but even then there's like eight islands in the whole deck or nine islands sometimes and there's like a total of like maybe 11 blue sources and mm-hmm. it can be difficult to even double spell on say like turn four or, or turn five if they're both mm. blue spells because of the the color restrictions so that would warrant altering an awful lot of the deck to focus itself more on taking the actual turns themselves rather than interacting with the opponent. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the whole point of Blue Tron is to actually be able to interact better than anyone else can. So 
I feel like what this kind of feels like it would be starting a brew. Like we can apply our brew stuff that we've just talked about to this and we can go, okay, yeah. if we want to use like part of the water valve and stuff in a blue Tron shell, what you'll realize is eventually you might start cutting the Tron lands in order to fit more blue sources in order to make it work better. But then we need to have a different engine in order to make sure that we get enough mana. So you might end up on, say, something like Fires of Invention. And then suddenly you have the Is It Turns deck that already exists in Modern. So I think that's why it doesn't show up is because it probably was tried and that's probably where it's ended up. Now, by all means, if you think that it could work try it and if it's something that you think you'd like to do try it i think i would do something a little different well i like the idea of part the water veil mm-hmm. i'd probably just go with nexus of fate just because you get the shuffle in case against like mill decks yeah but it gives you that extra turn if you want it yes it is double blue which can be mm-hmm. an issue but i think that's why i would be going with it just run like one nexus of fate just to offset if you're expecting eight crabs and loads of mill like go yeah. for it sort of thing but i think that's where i would start if i was looking yeah. to do something like that yeah for sure so the Joe Cheney asks, what are Scott and Emma's favourite cheeses? Ooh, Emma, I think you should lead on this. I might be a bit more into Blue Tron, but you're definitely the cheese monger around here. <laughs> you're into Blue Tron, I'm into Blue Cheese. Now, so my favourite cheese is Camembert. So it's a mm-hmm. dipping cheese, a very a very lovely French dipping cheese, also partial to a bit of brie. Uh, like soft French cheeses is like my vice, like they're fantastic. That would be my selections. What about yours? I'm going to give an asshole answer. <laughs> You're going to say cheddar? No, no, not at all. No, it's entirely dependent on the situation. Okay, <laughs> see, skirting the answer. Okay. No, 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 okay, I, can, I can definitely give you some examples. <laughs> I can definitely give you some examples. So like you said, camembert, really, really good. I actually regularly have camembert on sort of like special occasions. So say like down with my folks, anytime I'm down, we will get, say like a little wheel of camembert, put it into a ramekin, cut the top off, put in apricot jam and chop mm. up some jalapenos and put it into the oven and let it all melt in and get to know each other. And it's like this real sort of like creamy, salty, sweet, spicy dip. And you're just putting in like this rustic like bread and crackers and stuff and just getting all that beautiful. (laughs) Nothing beats that except maybe say like you want to have some like good crackers and cheese or something like and and like like a meat plate kind of thing. You don't necessarily want camembert there. You're going to want something like, uh, personally, I like the Wensleydale with like the cranberries and stuff in it. And then you mix that with maybe some, maybe some lightly spiced pickles to go with that as well to like cut through the richness and really good stuff like that. Emma's shaking her head at the pickles, but like, don't mind her. Don't mind her. She's just crazy. (laughs) And, (laughs) but then if you were making a burger, like a dirty burger, like just a Mm. big old slab of meat and making a burger like you're gonna put that plastic cheese on it like there's no point in putting fancy cheese on there because you don't really notice it i'm gonna be on it like unless it's like some funky cheese most of the time you're not gonna notice it like just some some random cheddar or even some easy singles like i out of the top. i normally put mozzarella on my burgers i can understand mozzarella for like the cheese pull yeah i got that i really like mozzarella I personally don't think it's a strong enough cheese flavor in order to actually penetrate through burgers in general. But I would definitely put maybe a little bit of it in, like low Mm. moisture mozzarella grated with some sharp cheddar. That would give you the cheese pull and the strong flavor. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're a food podcast. Uh, We're a foodie (laughs) cast, which I would be absolutely fine with doing with at some point. But (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So sorry, Joe Cheney. I can't give you a direct answer. Uh, It's all of them just in different circumstances, I guess. Depends which day. Yeah. <laughs> really. Yeah. And lastly, we have a question from that TCG. They ask, how do you feel about the turn-free Embercle deck? 
since at its core it can be built for about $30 or less because it runs one Emrakul, one Trickery, four Thrones and 54 Mountains. Is it good for the game? Bad for the game? What are your thoughts on it? Well, first of all, turn three? <laughs> I've seen it happen on turn one. <laughs> so, I don't know. Here's the thing. Remember what I said about earlier about being able to accept when you're wrong? I feel like this might happen to me. So I was originally saying that Tibbo's Trickery in modern... It's probably not going to be that big of a deal. It's probably going to be one of those decks that's going to get hated out real hard and then it'll disappear and it'll come back every so often. Kind of like Neobrand, you know? Yeah. Neobrand, significantly more pieces to that combo in order to pull it off properly. So that's why it stays at the at the fringes and it's never at the forefront. The Trickery deck, however, just kind of needs a Cascade card and like that's it, you know? Mm. So you just draw enough lands, you do the thing. Now, if you haven't seen it, I, I watched... The versus live they ran Tibble's trickery deck in modern against three different forms of disruption so it was teamer titan uh, humans and rakdos shadow and it didn't have a positive win rate but it had a pretty respectable mm. win rate and all of the times that it didn't win it nearly always was because the deck just bricked and if it didn't brick like if luck was on your side and it didn't break they would have just won the game on the spot so i do mm. think it's probably a little too good but I don't necessarily think it's Tibble's Trickery's fault. I think it's the Cascade cards. Yeah, I yeah. actually think it's Cascade's fault. And it's not necessarily that... Some people are saying that three mana Cascade cards are the problem. That's a weird blanket to put on a specific type of card under a certain CMC is a bad thing. Mm. I, I, I feel like if you're, if you're calling for some of the cards to be problematic, I think it's just the mm. mechanic in general. Like CMC yeah. is something that exists throughout all magic cards. You can't use that necessarily as a way to explain how a specific thing is broken, you know. Well, saying that, you, you can go one further, right? It's like with the new Tibalt. That works really well mm-hmm. with Cascade because you can Blood Braid Elf into a seven-mana yeah. Planeswalker. And it shouldn't work that way. I don't think the rules should not say that if that makes sense like it's something you can do but it just doesn't feel right when we talk about modern right I'm going to go on a little tangent here and I'm going to bring up Faithless Looting and I'm very sorry um when people talk about banning cards it's like yes the namesake card is a problem but you got to look at the enablers right because they are the thing that causes Mm -hmm. the end result looking at Faithless Looting looking at Mox Opal for example even stuff like Once Upon a Time is a good example because it enables so many good things why aren't we talking about Cascade in the same way it's because it's the new card, Emma. We have to be annoyed at the new thing. We hate change, remember? Yeah, but it's like Cascades had problems before, right? And don't get me wrong, I love Living End. I've played a lot mm-hmm. of Living End in my yeah. time. But if it's going to enable these sort of decks, like it feels like there needs to be some sort of change or some sort of rule. Because I don't think you can ban every Cascade card because there's just so many of them. It's just, I think they're going to have to ban Tibbox Trickery because that is the easiest thing to do. Instead of banning like 40 cards with Cascade, for example. It's definitely um, the easiest thing to do. I don't think it's necessarily it's the right thing, though, because all that does is it pushes the problem later down the line. And it's like, oh, we'll just this wait until it. something else breaks Cascade. And eh. This is it. But do you change the rules on Cascade? Like, what do you do about the Cascade issue? Which I think is a conversation in itself. That's where I'm kind of going with it. Yeah, like personally, if something was to happen, it would probably... To me, it feels like they would just ban Tibble's Trickery. That's not me necessarily saying that I agree with that. Mm. I do think that, like, Cascade is on the Storm Scale for a reason. Yes. It's high on the Storm Scale. It's seven on the Storm Scale mm. because it's broken. It is letting you play free spells. 
Playing free spells is always broken. Anything with free spells is busted, as a yeah. general rule of thumb. So it's just like... So, here's, here's a great example that I'm going to use. Uh, people keep saying to bring back Bridge from Below in Modern, because Hogak's gone, so therefore it's not busted. Now, the thing is, what good is it going to do the format? And the answer is, well, nothing. It, it's not going to do the format any... It's not going to re-enable anything other than maybe some, like, fringe like Bridgevine decks or something like that. But all it does is it brings back something that we know to be busted because it sees playing like Manalus Dredge and stuff in Legacy as part of the engine there and just giving it another opportunity to be broken at another point. I don't understand that. Like it's not, it's not something that should stay in modern because yeah. maybe it's cool in my one fringe deck, you know? Well, that's the thing with Bridge from Below. It enabled the banning of Dread Return before Hogak was ever a thing. Mm-hmm. And that didn't get the ban then, whereas yeah. it probably should have. But yeah, like I think Tibor Trigger is going to get banned at some point. I think in like a month or so, I'd be surprised if it's still around. And this is an optimistic take. I want to see Uro to go alongside with it. I would like that a lot. I think that's my ideal sort of BNR. I'd like to see Tibor's Trickery and Uro go. But they need to address the Cascade issue, especially with like turn three, seven mana planes book is just not right. I feel like they need to errata that in some way. I'm going to go and say something that is quite a hot take, I think. And okay. I said the same thing about Bridge from Below and why it shouldn't be in Modern. And that is it feels like a legacy ability. Bridge from Below feels like a legacy card. It's a busted thing. It's a really broken thing that exists in Legacy because it's a broken format and everything is kind of propped up by force of will and each other's degeneracy. And that's fine. I don't think Cascade really has, and I love Cascade decks, it doesn't have the potential to survive in modern without becoming broken, if that makes sense. Because I agree. what it does is it puts a card design restriction in place for the card designers that they have to be aware and careful that Cascade doesn't somehow break one of their new cards and yep. make Cascade the broken thing. And this has just happened with Tibble's Trickery. That's what's happened. And granted, people are saying like, oh, do it like the do it like they've done before where they've errated, for example, the, the Valky and Tibble thing where you can't mm-hmm. cast the backside of it. But I kind of like the idea of Bloodbraid being able to like Cascade into a, a, a Tybalt. That's kind of cool because it's giving Jund new slightly unfair toys to be able to like keep up and stuff as much as I don't like Jund. Mm. But yeah. in order for fair decks like that to keep up, it, they need to be able to sort of bend the rules a little bit as well. So I actually kind of like it there. But when it comes to these kind of decks, like the Tipples Trickery kind of decks, I think that it can be kind of busted. But overall, if I had to pick, I would probably just remove Cascade from Modern as much as that pains me to say because I actually really like it. And me. I really, really like it, but yeah, I think that's where I'd go with it. Someone's going to probably try and get me cancelled for wanting Cascade banned. Probably some Jund apologists <laughs> yeah. that love Bloodbraid Elf a little bit too much. <laughs> Got a BBE body pillow. Thank you for listening to us here at the BMCast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Aleandro, Kilgore Trout 503, Max Makes Magic, Odin Egan, Philippe Delmont, The Jez Guy, The Joe Cheney, Bradley Rose, Stephanie Pace, Ian Holland, The Pauper Guild, Nicholas Martin, and Tyler. And at the Stonks tier, we have Anga Orr, Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, Ryan Collins, Nerblin, Everett Brogan and Dahi Carroll. 
Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you'd like to support us and add your name to this list of wonderful people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash budget magicast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.